bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. You're listening to Spotlight, a show that takes place around big announcements, at conferences, in the hallways, and behind the scenes. It's about getting out and having meaningful conversations with real people in the community. It's Changelog in the Trenches, shining our spotlight. Welcome to our Spotlight series titled The Future of Node, recorded at Node Interact 2016 in Austin, Texas. We produce this in partnership with the Linux Foundation, the Node.js Foundation, and it's sponsored by IBM and Strongloop. Check out IBM API Connect, a comprehensive solution to manage your entire API lifecycle from creation to management at developer.ibm.com slash API Connect. Also check out Loopback from Strongloop, a highly extensible open source Node.js framework that enables you to create dynamic end-to-end REST APIs with little to no coding at loopback.io. In this episode, I talked with Tracy Hines, the Education Community Manager for the Node.js Foundation. We talked about the efforts being made towards a safer, inclusive community and the events they create, open source documentation and tooling for conferences, and everything in between. Take a listen. So what role do you play in the Node.js Foundation? I am the Education Community Manager, uh, but my hats are many. So, can it like break? any organization, right? Yeah, yeah. We run lean. Uh, yeah, I I also have been taking responsibility recently for the inclusivity working group, which is not under the foundation, like from the executive side, but uh, we just needed the work to be sort of investigated, examined, and that's something that. Uh, we are capable of doing. So I took that on because it's also something that I care about and have struggled with myself. So I understand from my conversation with Michael that you have some experience on that on that front too. Yeah, yeah. I um I run conferences as a hobby. Okay. Um, nice hobby. Yeah, volunteering. Are they hard or they easy? Uh well we keep both. them. They're both. Yeah. The challenges are always the people, right? The human component. Um, humans are hard. Because the logistics or the money side, like those are struggles, but uh, with proper planning, you can mitigate for those right. problems. Uh, the human challenge is always tough because it's something new every year. And I tend to learn from experience. I can't learn as much from observing other people. So when it comes to trying to make conferences that are community driven and um, making people feel welcome and also safe, experimenting with that can be tough. <laughs> Yeah. If you make mistakes, it's big mistakes. So. Yeah, you tend to be, there I said, uh, not much grace. Yes. You know, yeah. if you mess up, right? It's like, how dare you? You should have thought about this beforehand. A lot of uh, onus is put on conference organizers. Yeah. To to really do well and do it right the first time. Yeah, that's something I've tried to. Over the years, I've noticed that one people don't want to. I mean, they don't want to know how the sausage is made. Right. Um, but when it comes to community conferences, especially when people aren't getting paid to do it and they're sacrificing a lot of their spare time, it's just like open source. We can always be kinder. And, Unthankful and, or yeah. a thankless job. Right. I, I, I Absolutely. Yeah. The volunteer work is taken for granted and you mm-hmm. people really don't get to see the sacrifice that's made in order to make those things happen. Uh, and it's such a, a temporary thing because it's only a couple days in a year. So before I was helping with open source, it helped it helped me empathize. <laughs> so when was that for you before you were helping with open source? Um, so my event organizing has always been uh, attached to something like Node or JavaScript. Um, but I haven't been, I mean, outside of... Yeah, outside of contributing to like the event open source or tooling for that, it wasn't probably until last year. Yeah, because I didn't even. I mean, I was I was making open source tooling for conferences, um, but that's what my drive was outside of work. Uh, so that's what got me interested in to contributing back into the community in a way that I wouldn't have to walk everyone through it personally. Um, but uh, yeah, otherwise, I think yeah, I wasn't working on things like Node until this year. Um, as an open source contributor, which is really wacky, but <laughs> what kind of open source tooling goes around a conference? <sighs> Everything from uh, making the websites better, uh, 
and making them apps instead of just sites uh, so that we can have like a call for talks or a review system or... Um, you think that's, that problem will be solved much better by now? Like how many well, years later it's have been we... So, it's, it's been addressed three times over, but uh, it's in different languages or it gets worked on and then isn't maintained right. or it doesn't fit the kind of conference that we're running. Uh, and it's enough of a, a not fit that like forking doesn't work. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, or things like we were bananas enough early on to do something like uh, use a Google form for our submissions, which is great. But then if you want to do a review system, um, uh, or we like pulled it into GitHub from there. Right. So we wanted to pull that in. Uh, and then we realized that we didn't want people, we wanted that to be open or anonymous for people who were submitting. So you submitting. couldn't make a, a judgment call based on the person's name or yeah. gender or So then color you're pulling race. it back in. So you're creating tools that's like, you know, trying to deal with the GitHub API right. uh, and also the Google API. And these are things that I mean, I know at least in the JavaScript community with conference organizers, a lot of people are doing that sort of thing because one group does it and then you're like, okay, great, you know, like using Google Forms is great. Um, but then like, how did you solve this problem? And you tell them and they're like, no, that's, I don't want to do that at all. That's way too much work. Mm. Um, so yeah. are any of these tools available, open, yeah. in process? Yeah. So um, What's the state of these that one is under, I believe, the EmpireJS org. Um, so I help run EmpireJS as well as advise for EmpireNode, which I helped found. Um, and those are two conferences in New York. And uh, I think we also created a document with my um, co-organizer for Cascadia. We have uh, a how to conf. So we actually have documentation on how to run a JavaScript event like we run it. Um, and I think we also give some justifications on why we do the things we do. So like why we keep, why do you go to JavaScript conferences that are max of 300 people? That sort of thing. So the how to conf repo is everything you know about how to put on Cascadia JS or a conference like it. Yeah. That's interesting. So what I'm seeing, looking through the contents, organizing a team, picking a date, sponsorship, CFPs, website, and it desperately needs to be updated because I don't think I've is this, even worked on that. Is this readme? Is it is it documentation or is it actual it is a, like working code that you can launch your own site from it and stuff like that? That's a readme. Our uh, I don't know if we link to we have many of the years of the websites that we ran for the conference because they tend to be one-offs. Cascadia's is documented in a way I believe that you should just be able to clone it and run it. The how to conf repo is not a whole package, so right. that's definitely the readme documentation of how to run it, but it also has spreadsheets for budgeting and uh, keeping track of volunteers. Yeah, we live in the world of spreadsheets because wow. it was sort of like, well, we can spend the time to create apps that would help us organize this in a better way, but um, there's either paid tools that do that, so we don't want to spend too much time because people are already, already using it, right. or uh, we're just fine with using spreadsheets. <laughs> how do you feel about the the site for this conference here? Like. I know I talked to Michael earlier. Maybe this is a touchy subject, but... It's not a touchy subject. It's um, it's not... It doesn't engage people. It's really hard to dig in and find things. Uh, and I think uh, the ability to be able to sort of... Um, I mean, Michael and I are both developers, and it's tough when we want to just be able to step in and fix something really right. quick because we're used can, to doing that. We don't you, have the agency can't. to do it. Yeah. So, like, I know that something that I want to see front and center during a conference, not before, but during, is code of conduct, emergency contact, and, you know, the agenda right up, and also Wi Fi because sometimes people don't notice that it's on the badge. Right. So, um, How many times today have you been asked, what's the Wi-Fi password? None. none. I was surprised. Like, I think people are starting to get used to this, and I think that this is the best thing ever. Cause I love the lanyard, by the way. It's, it's great because I hate when they flip. I know. And you're I, like, and what's I, your name? And it's like, oh, it's the back of the lanyard. It's not the front. Yep. Great job. I like yeah. that that blend of lanyard best with the yeah, two. Yeah, that's all our events team. Spin. Lara and Cassandra, they think of everything. So that's, yeah, that's all on them because I always forget to do these. I end up doing the center ones because right. and then they're everywhere. Yeah, Or they, uh, if you don't have that, uh, the way they attach, well, they can cl like make a lot of noise. Yep. So all you hear in the background <laughs> of the conference room is like the clinking sound of the metal clinking oh, together yeah, or whatever, you know, because like if it moves, which it does, because people are going to move and shuffle and, and you can't make everybody stay still. So next thing you know, you've got this lanyard that flips over 
or makes a bunch of noise. Oh, ours are ter- well, they're terrible and beautiful. For Cascadia, the last three years, we've done um, wooden engraved badges, which is great, except they're terribly loud and very heavy. <laughs> um, and then you're also not going to do double-sided because it's really expensive. We're right. paying an artist to carve that stuff out. So Wow. Yeah. A lot of attention, though. I mean, yeah. it's about experience. Well, and my dream is that... Um, what was it? Uh, it's not Future Talk. What is the name? New, New Relic has a conference um, that they've been doing for a number of years. And I'm so embarrassed I can't remember it right now. But uh, one year they did a really incredible... I mean, the only time I've heard of anything like this is when DEF CON did it. And they did. They absolutely did hardware badges. And it was... Uh, yeah. I, and we've been trying for years. Mike and I talked about this was Future Stack. Yeah, Future yeah. Stack. Yeah, which I've heard is a great conference, which is always something interesting too when you're talking about like a company, a product, or a product like of sorts, a right. suite of products. Running a conference is always um, it's peculiar to me because I the way I run conferences, I see a very neutral and like objective. Right. That's not to say that they aren't because um, Twilio is another company that does a really great job with Signal, mm-hmm. uh, and they get a lot of different companies coming in. I guess they just have a good enough rapport with everyone to make sure that they trust. They've that. always been developer first to yeah. Twilio. I mean, so they got a good rapport yeah. relationship with the community. It's they've never. I think once you begin to to the line of exploitation to a degree or making it about yourself and not about the community, you get in a danger zone. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine when you're managing sponsor expectations, you have to be very careful when you're walking that line of right. like making, ensuring that they can trust you, that uh, they get equal footing alongside you, you know? Right. What's the challenge there with, with sponsors? Like, uh, are you involved in that with this conference much? Or um, this conference, I wasn't. No, um, Todd Benzies uh, and Minyu lead the charge on that for us. And thank goodness, because we've <laughs> we've all got a lot of ownership in these conferences. But for for me, for this, it's um, content, recruiting speakers, uh, making sure that we've got a good variety of lineup as well as, um, you know, diversity of speakers, making sure that we're also including people who are newer speakers as well as speakers from all over the world because we can, I mean, we're, in the U.S. it just tends to be U.S. centric. Right. So we want to make sure. Or that even English centric or absolutely. language barrier. Yeah. I talked to uh, Shia from, yeah. from Autodesk and we talked a lot about just the language barrier there between in China, they they work in in Chinese, obviously, um, versus Japan. They primarily work in English. They speak Japanese at work, oh, but, yeah. but they can work in in English. And oh, you never really realize until you flip the coin how different it is on the other side. You know, like you just don't think about it. I guess. Yeah, when I was, you can doing... call it arrogance or whatever, but it's just like a, a bubble we live in. Sometimes. Oh, sure. You know, we just no. When I was vision. talking with my friend uh, Juan Pablo, he. He is from Colombia, right? And he's done incredible work with Colombia Dev, uh, which is a group that is um, really strengthening the tech community in Colombia and and around it because of what they're doing. So there's other countries that they're sort of networking and building it up together. And it's uh, you know I was talking with him one day and he was telling me you know like go look go look and see how many learn to JavaScript books are in Spanish right now. Spanish, like a language that I would have just assumed that. Right. I think at the time, I think it was zero. And it wasn't, this wasn't 10 years ago. This was like two years ago. Wow. And I was just like, what? Like, it can't, it's not that, it's like, I'm, I speak Spanish, I'm terrible at it, uh, but I can read it. And I was like, if I can do that, like, why is no one translating? And he was just like, no one's doing it. And when I learned that, um, I mean, and that's even with an alphabet, right, similar to our own. Then I hear, you know, when people are learning in other countries like Japan and China and their their letters and numbers don't look anything like ours. Like, how do you deal with that with programming? Yeah. So when I started learning about like people are just, you know, having to program in English for the most part, regardless of the language that they speak or write. It's just like I can't even imagine what the challenge would have been for me when I was teaching myself programming if I had had to also be doing it in another human language. Yeah. We have a similar problem on our podcast, The Changelog. We were talking to the the fellows behind Crystal, which is like a faster version of Ruby, basically, oh, is okay. the easiest way to say it. Oh. And we got to the end of the show, and Jared and I were both 
from the Central Times and I'm from Houston, Texas, and he's from Omaha, Nebraska. We were we got into the whole show, great conversation, but they were mentally tired, and we're like, why? And they're like, well, English is not our first language, uh-huh. so the whole time they're like trying their best to talk fluently about a fast-moving topic anyways in a second language. And so they just talked about how, what mental hurdles it was to do that on the fly. You know, try to maintain listenership of of the other person speaking. And, you know, there was two people on their side uh, representing Crystal and me and Jared. So it's four people total on this this recording. And, And so I was just like, it opened our eyes to think how difficult it might be to, to then ask, like, okay, if English isn't your native language, you know, how can we best appreciate you being here and, and should we speak slower? You know, it just might make us more aware of, of what words not to use, you know, oh. like just use more simple English or just speak slower. And yeah. anybody who gets excited like I do, I probably just talk fast. So yeah. oh it's just gosh. a barrier. It's just a thing you never really think about, you know. Well, that's Until somebody brings it to your mind. When we went to, uh, Michael and I went to Beijing for Node Live where we met Chia, they had translators. I mean, they had no problem providing translators either, but I just couldn't imagine. We we have a number of folks who came over that we met while we were in Beijing who are speaking this weekend. And, you know, fortunately they have, I think they have, they may not think so, but I think that they have an excellent grasp on the English language. And that's a huge hurdle you're talking about. I mean, these... These folks are so smart and the topics that they're talking about are so complex and they're able to do it in English. I mean, that's what I just can't. We're very lucky. Yeah, we we have have it very easy. easy. We have it very easy. Yeah. Let's talk about an uneasy subject sometimes. It depends upon uh, which side of the fence you're on uh, in terms of getting it right or getting it wrong. So going back to our earlier conversation, but a big effort for you uh, in particular has been working on inclusivity at this conference and making people feel safe and comfortable. Uh, A great post on Medium, which we'll link up in the show notes of this uh, conversation, but a lot of great stuff happened at this conference in particular, um, just to make people feel feel more welcome. Everything from childcare to colored stickers to identify your comfortability of being photographed or talked to. What, What effort goes into making a conference like this feel safe, feel inclusive, and not just feel, but actually be? Yeah, I think um, it takes, I mean, one, it takes a community that wants those things to happen. Uh, And I think that uh, we're fortunate enough to have that. And our events team, you know, our entire team, not just the events uh, team, they, they get it. I think that's it was. It's really comforting when you have a team that you're working with that you don't have to get on board. Um, so when you have folks who are supporting uh, what you think is right, and you have leadership, you know, at every level where people are saying like this is important, it matters, and we're going to prioritize it, it makes a difference. And I think people take that for granted. You know, I have people who approach me for even just saying like, how did you get a diverse lineup of speakers at this conference or that conference? And I say that's a really complicated question because it's not just a mandate, right? You can't just say we're going to have half of our speakers be from underrepresented groups. Like, cool. Does that actually like does that exist in the the community that you're talking about? Uh, it might not. So then, what should you be doing? You should be supporting those efforts throughout the year, right? Uh, not and just it, a it few builds up. It takes to yeah, because otherwise us. you end up with things like speaker fatigue, where you have five really talented speakers from underrepresented groups who absolutely deserve to be on stage, but like they're the, they're not the only ones that should be speaking, and that's not fair to them, right? Right. Um, they're there because they are excited and talented, and they also don't want to be considered tokens. So you have to show them that they're there for their good work and and for that reason alone, you know? So Not because of being underrepresented. Right, not because they check a box. That's tough because, you know, while you want to have an equation that matches what the community wants, which is more inclusivity, more invitational, but then not choose people based on their attributes. Right, because you don't want, you're doing them a disservice. It must be really hard. Yeah, I mean, you're doing them a disservice because they don't, you can, right, you make them think twice about them being there when they deserve to be right. there and they're talented. You and don't we want all that, have right? Imposter syndrome. Yeah, Every so you don't need us. to erode that. And then you also don't want the folks who are still 
struggling with understanding the inclusivity and diversity challenge, right? When they see maybe they applied for a conference and they didn't get in, and then they hear that there was an effort for, you know, to make a more diverse lineup, then maybe they're just going to say, they're not actually a good speaker. They just got there because they're a woman or, you know, because they're black and that's not okay, right? Like we don't want, it's not fair to the the talented speakers for anyone to think that of them because that's not why they're there. So, um, it's definitely those sorts of efforts, and that's something. That's one of the reasons why I like to be so involved in the communities that I live in, uh, because I want to make sure that um, people are being. You're bringing that back down from the conference level to the meetups, and making sure that people are feeling that at every level. So like, I'm really lucky with New York that we have that. Um, a lot of the organizers there do that. It was a lot harder work in Portland, where Portland is just naturally like. Well, not naturally. Historically, it isn't. Um, less diverse city. Um, so it, it's, it was much more of a struggle to, to have a good mix of backgrounds for people who are attending a meetup and who are practicing and giving talks and then going to conferences. Um, so the work there is very different, I think. But then there's also, yeah, so the team doing things like already having all of these things in place for months, which was really spectacular, is, you know, having the emergency phone numbers on our website along with the code of conduct and saying, like, these are real people that you can contact if you feel unsafe. You know, having someone like Brian who reached out as part of our community to also, you know, run that extra effort and then we're able to blast that out as well. Like, that's another... Um, blessing of having community members who care that much to do that. Um, having on-site child care, you know, having the stickers that communicate, you know, whether you want to be talked to. I love that too. Like those special touches. My understand those are the details that people just miss because they're, I mean, for good reason. Conferences are tough anyways. Yeah. And then you've got to, you naturally want to care because you do care. It's just, it's already so many things happening yeah. that if you don't have the right kind of team and the right kind of support and the right kind of attention to detail to those things that really matter, you will just miss them. Yeah. And, and it, it may not be on purpose. Like we said earlier, like no grace given whenever you mess up. Yeah. And I mean, like we all want to do well, well I, I guess say maybe we don't Most, all want yeah, to. Yeah. Generally we all desire to do well, yeah. but we all mess up. Oh yeah. To some degree at some point in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I think I appreciate when folks don't, like, it's your job, right? People say, like, you know, it's just a job versus caring. But, right. like, people also like to do their job well. Right. So, you know, I don't, we're lucky that that uh, there are more folks who are running conferences now, including this one, that see that as doing a good job. That it's a part of running a conference. What kind of feedback do you get? that makes you feel that way? Like, do you get people to come up to say things to you? Do you have a comment box that's anonymous? How do you provide a feedback loop from uh, attendees that kind of uh, is a response to the things you've done, the details yeah. that you paid attention to? We, is it pictures anytime on Twitter? We hear, is it tweets? Well, it's tweets. Um, it's, uh, we run a post-event survey. Uh, we also have... Anytime that we kind of get these wins, right, where we have someone come up to us personally and say, like, this thing was really important to me, you know, like, I wasn't able to attend without this diversity scholarship, and because of that, like, now I'm going to go to the code and learn, and that's incredible, because that means that we may have someone new contributing to Node, which is and it's- a huge challenge, and they just are feel welcome and that's something they didn't have before like those sorts of things we'll share with each other on the team because it's wins right like it's it helps you on the days where things are a little tough because it reminds you that you know we're doing a good job and we need to continue to do those things can you talk about the child care portion of this like what impact that that has on when I talked to Michael about uh Michael Rogers I've said his name a couple times on here but when I talked to him about that he mentioned the the experience and history of the Linux Foundation having had already had a system in place. Can you talk a bit about that system if you're familiar with it or what it took to put childcare in place well? I'm not familiar with the system that the Linux Foundation established specifically. I know that um, having childcare on site is a is a hurdle, right? So you have parents who don't want to trust someone that they've never met before, even if they're a certified, you know, caregiver. Yes, I can There's feel that. I have a, insurance, I have a son and a right? Daughter, so. Yeah, like I can't imagine that people are. <laughs> I think it's you know it's very it's very gracious that they 
will trust us. Um, and, you know, making sure that your venue will allow for that and has the space to entertain right. those kids. It's and a lot then, of parts. Yeah. And liability. Security so insurance even. and security. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We don't think about security, but, you know, you think about the, the folks taking care of the kids, but then also making sure no one comes in and does anything to anybody, you know, or yeah. does something they shouldn't be doing. You know, it's 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 outside of just those people taking care of the kids. It's also people like even this gear here where we're sitting around all of our podcasting gear and audio gear. Like we had a guard on duty sitting right there. Yeah. And I, I've that made me as someone who comes here as to participate feel very welcomed because I was like, oh, okay. they care about me enough, not just to have me there to produce these podcasts in partnership with y'all, but, but also to take care of my stuff whenever I'm not around. Yeah. And, and I, I felt like even that detail, and maybe that's not something that was, you know, even intended, but like, I felt really awesome about that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, Linux foundation, I'm, you know, with the history of, of open source uh, communities, I did not expect, I, I've only been with the Node Foundation, you know, and the Linux Foundation since March. I did not expect, I was not aware of the history of um, Linux Foundation uh, trying to prioritize those things. So um, that's, it's been a pleasant surprise. I mean, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't have any negative thought of that, I mean, or assumption otherwise, but it was just didn't know. And so that's, um, it's exciting to see what the Linux Foundation is setting as example. And so it's easier for us because then we also have precedents to point to when we decide to do something. We can say, well, like, you know, they're setting this example. This is easy for us because we know we're not the only ones doing it. And we're going to make this so commonplace that people don't question it. So the things you've learned from this conference and many others is the how to conf. Is that like your Bible or... The things you've done for this conference, is there something new you'd contribute back or oh, you know, where do you share things like that? This is a very different conference. So How to Conf is a single track conference and it is purposefully kept to 300-ish people. And that's in order for people to have uh, repeated connections over a couple of days. Um, I think... What, and it's single track allows for sort of like the intensity of having to watch all of those speakers. You don't get a choice. Right. Um, but that's also a very different type of conference. So this conference um, is trying to bring everyone together. And as part of that, there's a lot happening. There's yeah. a lot of companies. So there's long a lot. ones, long two. Yeah. And I think we, we owe it to folks to be able to bring, to give them the opportunity to get to see all of those things. You know, if we're doing one conference in a year or two conferences in a year and we're, you know, we're trying to run this flagship conference for Node, then we need to, we sort of need to have, you know, high quality, but, um, a fair volume of choices. Uh, and so that definitely makes for different uh, things to choose for running a conference because uh, multi-track is a different beast. I mean, that's it's a whole different game. It is. And um, it also means for far more people, right? If you want all the experts in the room, there's a lot of people. Yeah. If you're trying to get everybody in. Uh, and so single track can be a little difficult for that. Just for size, what's the rough uh, attendee range here? I think we're at seven or 750. Um, so double yeah. how to comp, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And how many tracks was it? Two tracks? One track? Uh, this track was, or this conference, I think, was three tracks. Three tracks. Or, well, seven tracks, but like three or four rooms. So, yeah. There, um, some of, of the Yeah. Some of the tracks were, are, are sort of like fledgling in, in Node. Like we know that they're popular uh, in the ecosystem, but we maybe um, didn't see as many talks. So, or just trying to balance all of that out with time. Right. Back to the how to conf. The reason why I asked you that was more or less to see if you have, since you shared that that portion of your experience, and I'm sure other contributors as well, but uh, some sort of playbook that says, you know, this is how we did this conference right, oh. and we care enough about the community to, to kind of share what you've already done with how to conf. Maybe there's a version of that playbook for for, for Node Interactive. Yeah. Yeah. That's and maybe a it's good not point. an exact way of you do this, but some of the things you've learned, everything from childcare to the yeah. colored stickers to just various things you've done that. It, are details that people just don't think about. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's an excellent point. Any plans Maybe for another that? how to comp. Yeah. I think, we, well, there weren't plans for it yet. <laughs> Maybe it could be how to interact for interactive. Yeah, that would Lame be name. cool. Don't, don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm bad at naming. I'm terrible at naming things, so I always take suggestions. Well, what else can we talk about in terms of, uh, you know, what, what good takeaways can we share with the audience listening to this? So this is, 
a, a series we're producing with uh, the Node.js Foundation, Linux Foundation, sponsored by IBM, to to give a picture into this conference and the future of Node. So what can you share about some of those things as it relates to this conference or the, or the future of Node as you see it? Hmm. Maybe some of the things you're, uh, some of the roles you're playing in not just this conference, but other things around Node.js Foundation. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this time next year, I think it's going to be a very different conversation I'm hoping to have um, because a lot of our inclusivity strategy uh, that I've been working on uh, has been receiving input by a bunch of different parties, right? It's a careful conversation that we have to have around what we want the future of Node to look like because, I mean, that's that's essentially what we're talking about when we're talking about inclusivity and we're saying that it's important enough that we need to invest mm -hmm real energy and resources in. And part of that is, is how our conferences operate and who's speaking and what our panels look like and the topics that are being considered. How about the project itself in yeah. terms of uh, onboard contributors? Michael and I talked about uh, how over the years since the IOJS fork with the merger with Node, the foundation being formed each year, you've 100% doubled the, you know, the, the no community. And so I got to imagine that trying to be uh, as best you can inclusive to that kind of community and outreach, there's got to be a lot of things around documentation, learning. Yeah. Do you that's, play a role in that? Well, yeah. So um, there's been a lot of discussion around like rebooting documentation in general, because we've seen uh, a lot of slowdown on that, but that could be not just documentation, um, for like the API, it could also be on what are the values of the node community, you know, sort of because it's grown so much, you know, you've got folks who've been here for five years and they kind of, you know, they certainly have an opinion on what the values are of someone who's in the node community. Uh, and it's nice to be able to onboard other people to that and make sure that they understand that, like, this is a friendly place. This is a place that people are excited to nerd out with you on things. And, like, you can find your niche and run with it. But sometimes people don't get that experience when they start. And that's unfortunate. Um, but so that's why it would be helpful for us to have sort of guidelines um, or it's not guidelines like a guide for people to understand where they can go when they get started in the community and when they get started in the language for help or for encouragement uh, or for you know just learning uh, so there's definitely a lot of room for us to do that uh, and we need way more people working on it so you know core is so important but it's a very small fo footprint of what Node is. Um, so for instance, we're working on right now, or I've, I've drafted up a charter for a new org uh, in the Node Foundation alongside the TSC, which would be the community org. So, so much of our success over the years has been stuff like Node School and Node Bots right. and the meetups that happen around the world and the other conferences that happen. And they don't need to be under the Node Foundation in terms of like, paperwork and uh, governance, but they absolutely need representation because we're doing things, you know, at a high level that they need to be giving input on. And it would be nice to have formal mechanisms for that. So um, that's, that's actually part of the inclusivity proposal that I had laid out. And it doesn't sound at first like it's, it would make sense to be a strategy and in inclusivity, but all of those people around the world who've been organizing these things have been on the ground and have learned and scaled. Right. So they have a lot of lessons learned and the cross collaboration that we could support by having that organization would be awesome. Right. Um, it should also be only on your shoulders either right. as the foundation to do all the work. You know, well, you want considering, the, yeah, you I want, agree. You want, to, you want to disperse that amongst the community. Yeah, I mean, you want them to own to it, right, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's the key. Is that you? If if people don't feel like they get to own things, right? No one's going to raise their hand to say like, "I got this." Right. They're going to think somebody's handling it. And there's a lot that's happening in Node right now where that's the case, and that shouldn't be. So we want people. We need to make people feel like. I think we're getting the word out, right? William Capke's been great about like getting the word out that there's a lot of work to be done. It needs to be done. You should be annoyed about these things that aren't happening. And, but you can also help with it. So like capture that energy and run with it. Right. Uh, and yeah, that's absolutely what we 
are trying to work on doing, sort of evangelizing that, making sure people know that that help is needed and that the help can come from them. What kind of support then are you thinking about for not so much Node School in particular, but but things like Node School or meetups across the world? Like, what kind of support can they look forward to? So, if they're listening to this now, yeah, and they're not simply just a, a new a new user of Node or a new contributor, uh, potential contributor to Node that needs to be onboarded in terms of a user mm. or consumer of it, but more so guiding the local localized communities. How can what can they look forward to? What are you um, thinking there? I would say coordination of efforts um, and resources. So. Sometimes people, like a good example is that um, you don't want to give them water. You want to lead them, you know. To the well. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of events, and it's not just events that need, the, uh, that need you know, that would like help. But um, a lot of them see, like, the challenges around sponsorships or getting money. And they want money, right? But that doesn't actually sustain the project or their project in particular, or their organization. So having folks, you know, who would like to offer advice or having a repo where we talk about these things, because it's not just about money. It's also about, you know, the challenges about not having internet and trying to NPM install everything. Uh, and, you know, I saw that with Node School early on, uh, how much the organizers helped one another with that. I mean, I was one of them and uh, that helped us all rise in our local groups and really build communities there. But we are, we're seeing, you know, new rounds of, of support needed, such as like, maybe some, one of those orgs wants to establish governance and they know that like, we're slightly more experienced in it than them. Um, so and they come to you for advice yeah, on how to set up things. Yeah, they come for advice because they didn't know how to do that before. Um, yeah. Or just even helping them organize a little bit. So... Um, having meetings, you know, on a regular cadence uh, or having some sort of accountability to a larger group where they're reporting in may also drive them a little bit to help out more just in their org so they have mm -hmm. something to report back to. Have you ever considered um, things like localized community managers where uh, you almost have, I don't even want to use military terms, but like lieutenants out there in the field, so to speak, you know? that are doing the day-to-day, -day, they're in the trenches, they're in the fight, they care about the local community, they care about Node, they care about being inclusive and inviting and, mm -hmm. and welcoming, and they're taking the main mission of the community to the local communities. But rather than being this unknown person out there, there's somebody that you have a rapport with. Yeah, Maybe that's, that's a, the meetup organizers. No, that's a really, yeah, well, that's, that's a really great idea. I would say that... Um, some meetup organizers or node school organizers, they tend to take on that role informally. Right. Uh, so it's someone, you know, that just kicks butt locally and they maybe have their hands in a couple different pots. So they're able to kind of see a slightly larger picture and they're well connected. I mean, that's what I was for a while myself. So it's and it's also having f folks that are on the ground like that gives you a less um myopic perspective I think it allows you to know what's going on in an area and not just like a user group right Right. sometimes those user groups are big enough that um, that will be like, a pretty representative sentiment if something's you know really good or, or not good but yeah that's a really interesting I think we were talking about sort of that idea of um, node advocacy right in different parts of the world you know, we did Node Live this year in Bangalore and Beijing and Paris and Chicago and L.A. Uh, and What's Node Live? Is it? Yeah, Node Live was, I think it was initially tagged as a mini conference, but it was a one-day event. Uh, it could be on a weekend all day. Uh, or it could be in an evening for a pretty long evening. Uh, so it's essentially like a really it's a fancy meetup <laughs> that's bringing in people from potentially other areas and also uplifting um, maybe a speaker who is there locally that doesn't normally speak at the meetups. Or too hard to travel to right. the U.S. if it's from abroad. Yeah. Like I was talking to Thomas Watson. He said he got in. Oh, my I think gosh, like, He had the hardest time. Yeah, he, he had some troubles with his travels and yeah. he had to flip his time clock, basically. Um, so I, I sympathize with his, you know, just having to be jet lagged. Yeah. And, and, you know, those, so those sorts of, those sorts of visits were really awesome because it also opened us like Michael and Michael Rogers and I, we 
you know, we try and meet new people all the time. We have tons of emails and DMs and, you know, conversations on GitHub. And it's still not enough. It's still... Those those networks are still walled yeah. in some ways. So, like Beijing was an especially powerful visit for finding out how much was behind the Great Firewall. Right. And you know, we knew we were going to run into some surprises. We just didn't know how rich that community would be, and we have no connection to it. Right. Like so, that's. I mean, they're、it's、running the their own NPM. Barrier, and it's also the <laughs>、yeah. actual firewall barrier. So you got、yeah. like. Two huge hurdles to tackle when it comes to opening、uh, the doors to be more inclusive to、right. China. Yeah, so that's something that we can, I mean, I think we could really work on. I was thinking the idea would be sort of like this research effort, right? Because it takes a lot of work to, to build those networks. Being in person is a much more natural way to do so, even、right. if there is a language barrier.、Um, but it's It's pretty cost prohibitive and it can be physically taxing to travel that much. Yeah. So we have、well, to be strategic about、Google、it. You go hangouts with them either. Right. I know, yeah. <laughs> you exactly. Know? Yeah. I'm not sure if Citrix is, is, is blessed or not, but <sighs> Google is not. I think、She、I, I, I use Skype. Like, I think I use Skype. Well, it's a Microsoft thing, so it's probably okay. Well, I was also calling Microsoft people, so that might have been part of it. There you go. <laughs> it was part of their campus in Beijing. Yeah.、Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's. It's sort of,、um, we need the power of having that, you know, saying, I'm part of the Node Foundation or I'm part of the Node Project.、Um, it、Some、resonates、clout. with people, yeah. And, and so, like, they want to talk to you, they want to see what's going on. Sometimes they want, you know, you to help their business, and you can't do that, but you can certainly, you know, make relationships and、um, see how you can connect people when、uh, it would be really fitting, right? I'm a terrible salesperson. I can't, like, I can't lie. I can't sell anything unless、That's、I really love it. You're supposed to lie、right? when you sell? No, I'm just saying, like, I just,、uh, oh, you're not? I don't no, know. No, <laughs> selling is helping. Oh, that's good. Well, see, that's how I see it, is that I'm, if I'm not well, helping you, like,、great. it's worth it, right? Then you're、oh, great、okay. at it. That's my feeling. Yeah, but that's exactly it. I can't stand、it. those kind of salespeople. Oh, yeah. If you lie, you're not a salesperson, you're a sleazebag. <laughs> It's a whole different It's a different skill set, I guess. That's a、yeah. different podcast, too. Yeah, but back on topic. Sorry. <laughs> I derailed you. Yeah, no, you're fine. I,、um, yeah, I, so I think that that was really powerful. I don't, I don't know what 2017 holds for us with Node Live because we want to make sure that we're. We want to make sure that we're focusing on the community more and lifting them up、um, and not taking away fuel by running our own events, right? So, we want to make sure that everything that we do is empowering them instead of, because it also is more energy that we're spending having to run 12 events in a year. Oh, yeah. You, well, you said earlier speaker fatigue, and I think I may have heard that once before, but it still surprised me when you said it. And then, As we're talking about these localized organizers, meetup organizers, I'm thinking there, I know for sure I've met some organizers who have organizer fatigue.、Yeah. And they run their local meetups, they care about the local community. But in the end of the day, if they're the most looked at person or like localized fame or whatever, then they're always getting called to open up the doors to the,、mm -hmm. you know, to just be there. You know, from beginning to end, and they're like, hey, where's the pizza? Where's the, you know, or whatever it is, you know, where's the resources? Where's the everything from the projector to the seats to, and,、yeah. you know, it, you've got to find ways to not let them burn out either. Yeah, I agree. I, and that's one of the, it's another. But also give them the ability to, to do what they need to do versus do every event, like you had said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's sort of、um, just, Yeah, taking advantage of what each of us are good at, right? You want the local community to feel empowered by running this awesome event that has, you know, maybe, you know, Node Foundation backing,、uh, and we're helping encourage. Uh, you know, TSC or CTC members to come and speak about a topic that, you know, no one in the local community is really working on. And that's really exciting because it's, it just engages people in a way that、um, watching a conference talk online doesn't do. Right. Face to face.、Uh, yeah. It's, it's better, but we do Skype. You know? Yeah. I, I run a podcast. I, I, I don't meet most of the people I talk to. Yeah. If I had to, we would never get to do it. Yeah.、Uh, so we have to be thankful for what we do get, but face to face trumps it most times. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just being able to have the conversation. Yeah. Like, I love that,、um, 
you know, NodeSource started their online meetup, which is great because there are a lot of really awesome programmers who aren't in major metropolitan areas. Yeah, that's another thing too. To be able to have watch these talks or have these conversations, it's nice that people are trying to experiment with these different types of mediums in order for people to still have that. You know, because I early on Slack isn't very new thing, but. Um, I lived and breathed on IRC and I had a really great community. There were people I didn't know. I had never met in person for a long time before I got to meet them. And it was that it was still like a genuine friend, you know, yeah. and that's, um, well, it's Michael nice that we're Rogers, supporting I gave him that. a hug. I, mean, I was like, Hey dude, how are you? But I've never met him face to face. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. Met very him cool. yesterday face to face, but I've been talking to him for years, uh-huh. uh, you know, off and on either through the podcast or now working with us on requests for commits yeah, and, yeah. and other fun stuff. So, you know, it's just like that. You, you grow this friendship that even when you meet them, it's still a little fresh too. Yeah. So that's also a challenge that we've been talking about with education in Node moving forward or even with Node Together, which I was helping with um, uh, the group that Ashley Williams founded, is sort of figuring out, you know, that's very physical location based. And right now there's only one teacher. That's especially problematic when you're trying to do this throughout the world right? Uh, and exhausting. So um, one of our organizers, Tierney, uh, he's lived in, a, you know, rural areas for a long time. And it's so he's a classic, you know, I'm trying to get, I, I like that he has, has this position and he holds to it, which is, you know, we need to have more of these distributed communities because like, I want to be a part of them. <laughs> and that's, that's the best way to hear it. Cause when someone says right. like, Oh, well we should do this thing. You're just like, I, you know, I want to empathize, but I don't know anyone who actually needs that. Right. It's because I'm not there in that tiny town. Right? right. I grew up in South Carolina and I moved for job opportunities, but not everyone has that luxury. So that's, that's definitely, and I think that that'll help us reach a lot of folks right throughout the world. So long as they have an internet connection um, to maybe be able to build that up more. So for those out there listening to this um, as part of this series, they want to contribute. They want to help your efforts What's the best way to reach out to you? Is it you personally? Is there a team? You know, what's the best way to kind of help make Node more inclusive, to support local organizers, to do all the to, yeah. to help in the ways we've talked about? Um, this, yeah, this I don't think we. So there's a number of places that you can go to look. Uh, Node.js.org, I believe, has a Get Involved tab, and it lists out the working groups and the projects that you uh, should absolutely check out uh, to see if it's something that's that interests you. There's also community organizations that are outside of that, such as Node School and Node Bots. Uh, checking to see if there is a local meetup around you uh, is really awesome way to get introduced uh, to the community. And uh, we've also got uh, repos for Inclusivity Working Group, which is uh, looking like it's probably going to be getting rebooted very soon. Uh, it's not had a lot of activity there um, because I think of all the stuff that I've had in limbo uh, with my proposal and uh, education. So education is in full swing and that's, uh, we're sort of in these this phase now looking into the new year where I have to see what the priorities should be. Uh, and I'm waiting for uh, my survey to come back. So uh, Greg Wallace and I, Greg is in marketing for us, uh, helped build this really awesome survey to try and figure out like who is writing and using Node. Uh, and that's going to help us figure out what we should be focusing our resources on for next year, our, our energies, because I want to know, like, do we, you know, it, we are going to have a certain audience, right? When people are filling out the survey, it's not going to be people coming to Node. Right. It's going to be people who are already in it. Uh, but sort of seeing, you know, if they've been in it for a little bit, how much of the struggle was for getting started or docs. Uh, and also asking if they're interested in helping change that. Mm. Uh, so once we have that data, we'll have uh, you know more to inform us on what we should be doing for the next year. Because uh, right now it's been this year has been very heavily focused on building the certification exam, uh, and that should be. Yeah, Michael mentioned yeah. certifications when I talked to him. He didn't go into detail, though. Yeah, so uh, we're we're actually meeting this weekend uh, to hash out the domains and the subtopics. 
uh, that the exam will cover. So the aim is to be a low-cost certification exam for someone who's been writing Node professionally for a year full-time. Uh, so we're going to be <laughs> bike-shedding that and figuring out uh, what that means. And the test would be the test will be uh, in-browser uh, and third-party proctored. Uh, and we're aiming for it to be in English as well as Chinese. So um, the hope there... And not there, using Facebook login. No. Oh because gosh, of the firewall. No. Because of the great firewall. Yeah, I mean, that's still... Um, uh, we Yeah, the challenge is around uh, what we're going to do for hosting uh, for the exam in China is still up in the air. So that's still being researched. I talked to Shia about that, and I don't want to derail the, the tail end here, but it's just... She mentioned that you actually had to have a business in China to have a server in China. Yeah. And some of the some of the red tape that goes into, we want to be inclusive. Like, it, I, I won't go into it, but long story short, it's, it's like you have to have a server in China and you have to have a business in China. So you have to kind of be legit in China, basically, to, yeah. to serve them like we desire to. And it's just yet another hurdle. Yep. So hopefully, hopefully that works out. Um, the certification will definitely, ha the English version will happen regardless. That's exciting. Yeah, and um, uh, we're aiming for Q1, end of Q1. Uh, but the the challenge is technically around uh, hosting, you know, Node in browser in you know in a way that feels real. Right, it needs to be some sort of contained operating system for people to be writing Node in. Uh, we have and then test for it. So we have to be able to run those tests against what they programmed. So that's not an easy challenge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> More challenges. Yeah. You'll rise to it. Oh, yeah. It'll be good. We'll get it through. All right, Tracy. Well, that's, that's about all I had today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to our friends at the Linux Foundation and the Node Foundation for working with us on this project, as well as our friends at IBM and Strongloop for sponsoring this podcast series. It was a blast being there. We'll be there again next year, so look out for us in 2017 at Node Interactive. If you want to hear more JavaScript-focused podcasts from Changelog, check out JS Party, our new live weekly show with Michael Rogers, Alex Sexton, and Rachel White. Head to changelaw.com slash jsparty, click subscribe, don't miss the show, and thanks for listening.